Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael and Lauren Falk. We are physical therapists, athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We will be talking all things related to athletic performance for Milwaukee area athletes. Sports medicine, performance training, sports nutrition, recovery, and sports coaching. There's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding athletic performance and injuries. This podcast is designed to bring current, factual, and evidence-based information to Milwaukee area athletes. Welcome back to another episode of Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Falk, and I'm joined today by Jack Hackett of Infinity Running Company. He likes us so much that he's back for round two. Jack has a degree in exercise physiology and runs a high-performance coaching business that helps runners of all levels achieve their best. We've recorded podcasts in the past with him earlier where we went over it, we discussed his background, um, we discussed running technique, um, no all stretching. Sort of, yeah, things like that. He even sided with me that stretching isn't all that we, all that it's made out to be per se. But I would highly suggest that you go back into the archives and check it out because it was a very helpful collection of thoughts that he shared to get any runner started. So today we're going to talk something a little bit more specific than we have in the past. And we're going to answer a question that every runner wants to know. How do you run fast? I mean, and ultimately, Jack's going to talk about it a little bit more from the science and coaching side, but I feel like that's a question that all of us as practitioners get all the time, right? No one wants to just run just to run, per se, usually. Everyone usually wants to run faster at some point in their running career, no matter whether it's recreational or competitive, wouldn't you say, Jack? Yeah, I would agree. That's that's typically, at least anyone that's seeking my help out is to run faster, Uh even, even the people that are coming from rehabilitation, like from your clinic, that, that are trying to get better, better is usually faster or maybe more competitive, too, yeah. which, which can be part of it. Yeah, but that's always like, you know, somebody meets a physical therapist and they go, oh, yeah, my back hurts. What do you think? What should I do about that? I'm sure every time someone talks to you, it's like, hey, how can I run faster? Yeah, <laughs> that's like, typically the question. <laughs> and everyone thinks it's a really simple answer, but it's actually a very complex, deep answer, and there's a lot of different things that go into it. So today we're going to break it down a little bit, especially from the science side of what it really takes to run faster. So, Jack, how exactly do we run faster? So broadly speaking, we have to cycle through stress and rest. Uh, what that looks like is, is basically where the science of coaching can get interesting. Uh, but you'll have some days that you run faster, some days that you'll run slower. And then even inside of days and sessions, you'll have faster running and slower running, alternating through that. Uh, sometimes you'll hear that called fartlicks, or, or sometimes they're more structured as intervals. Uh, there's a there's hundred different types of workouts, uh, and we can talk about those specifically in a little bit, but first we should talk about what limits running faster and how to improve that. Okay. And I'm sure the question that you know you hear of what, what is slowing you down, uh, I know I hear this all the time and, and I'm kind of fighting against it, is uh, oh, it's lactic acid, that's what's slowing you down. Uh, I should pull this apart for a second because that's not really what's happening at all. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about what lactic acid is and how it plays into what's happening with your training. Yeah, so lactic acid, uh, you know, it, it's actually a, a potent fuel that our body can use, but 
if we take a step back, when we start exerting ourselves, our body has to kind of create its own energy. Uh, the most efficient way to do this is with oxygen. Uh, it's actually a really sustainable process. Uh, it's called aerobic glycolysis. Uh, basically, it means with oxygen. Uh, when we need to produce a lot of energy for a while and we need to do it more quickly, so think at the end of a race or when things start getting tough, uh, that aerobic process doesn't work quick enough. Uh, so then we have to switch to this anaerobic or without oxygen process. Uh, that eventually, that process is what creates lactic acid, uh, which is in our body only for a matter of seconds before it, it disassociates and it becomes lactate and then there's, there's acid as well. Uh, but that lactate is actually a really, really potent fuel uh, that our body can use. Uh, that anaerobic process is actually a hundred times faster than the aerobic process. So you like can imagine- Like what your body is doing metabolically? Yeah, yeah, like that, that ability to get energy out is a hundred times quicker than hmm. it is with the aerobic process. So you can imagine for running fast, you really need to learn how to use that lactate and how to, to create that system and, and get that up and running. Hmm. I think it's really interesting that you comment on it that it's actually like this positive, it, it creates energy. You know, I feel like people use the word or you're using it in more of a positive sense. People use that word and I feel like they're like, oh, it's a lactic acid buildup in my legs. It's always kind of had this like negative connotation to lactic acid buildup or things like that. And you're actually saying it's a positive, like what it's, what it's creating and what it does for your body. Yeah, exactly. It, it is a fuel source that, that we need to learn how to use at a high level. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's this turning point where our body makes too much lactate or lactate, and then that's that lactate threshold where, where our body can no longer use that fuel and is creating so much that it starts to, to flood the system. Okay. So that's called the lactate threshold, and that's actually the best predictor of race performance out of anything. Uh, better than VO2 max, better than running economy, better than, than just about any other metric that uh, for predicting race performance. Okay, so we know that this happens in our body, so how do we improve it then? So the idea really is that we have to introduce our body to more lactate so that it learns how to use it more efficiently. Uh, if you're scared of it and you never do it, you're never going to learn how to, how to use it. Uh, so this is the idea with a lot of interval workouts or fart licks. You'll run faster. You'll create some of that lactate for your body to use. Mm -hmm. uh, it floods the system and then, then it has to deal with it. Uh, basically, you run fast, take a break, recover, and then repeat. Uh, there's also another kind of approach uh, that's more common, especially in the American coaching system. Almost every high school cross-country runner has done this at some point, uh, but it's called a tempo run. Commonly, it'll be you know maybe three or four miles at just below that lactate threshold, as in pace below, so you're creating some lactate, mm -hmm. uh, or sometimes just a few miles above. And the idea being uh, you're creating the lactate that your body needs or just a little bit more, uh, but it's a, a constant low dose. So that tends to be less effective than, than other ways to, to do it. So what are some of the better ways to train it then? So I've, I've been calling it the flood and adapt method. Uh, essentially, you know, we're doing what we described with intervals where you're going to run fast, say, you know, a, a good workout would be eight by 400 meters at a fast enough pace to get that, that burn feeling. You'll take a short rest, probably equal to, you know, about a one-to-one -one work to rest ratio of about that, you know, 60 seconds to, to, to two minutes, depending on how, how quick you are. Uh, and then going from the track to doing a tempo run. So essentially you're going to 
you know, jam your legs full of a bunch of crap and then teach them how to, to run with heavy legs. That's, that's really <laughs> not, the like most, torture. not the most fun thing necessarily, but it is a super effective workout, especially for getting faster. Uh, in, for my elite athletes, I'll even structure workouts where they'll do, uh, they'll start with hill sprints. So they'll do six by 10 seconds as fast as they can with about three to four minutes rest. Then they'll go onto the track, do a whole bunch of those 400s. Uh, or sometimes even longer intervals, and then go out onto the roads and do a tempo run. Uh, and sometimes you'll even do like the hill sprints, the track workout, the tempo, and then come back onto the track, reintroduce more crap, and then go out onto the to the road and <laughs> and kind of cruise and, and learn how to deal with that. So you're glutton for punishment is essentially what it is. <laughs> yeah, there's something something to that. Uh, but the idea is that you're going from a high neuromuscular load to a low neuromuscular load. Okay. And essentially what that that means is uh, your brain has to signal to the muscles to work and to fire. And when we're sprinting, we're using as much of our muscles that we can recruit. So when we start fresh, it, we can recruit more muscle fibers. Think of it like building a bigger engine. We're adding cylinders to the to the engine. I know we talked about this in our last time that we did the podcast about mm-hmm. sprinting, but uh, yeah, that, that's the idea of working from highest neural demand to, to lowest. So basically what you're talking, we're kind of, I feel like we're almost talking about two things here in the bigger picture of what it takes to get faster. You're trying to create that better metabolic base to give you the ability to sustain and your, for your body to manage the stimulus, right? And then you're also getting the physical training that comes with that in terms of having to turn your body over and create these different speeds and things like that. Yeah, without doubt. I, my college coach uh, was always full of wisdom, but he, he said, uh, if you want to run fast, you have to run fast. And that is a really simple <laughs> way to think of it. But if you want to run faster, you have to run faster. You can't just run your race pace. You have to get comfortable running faster than you are now. Absolutely. We say the same thing um, like when we're doing weight training or things like that. And granted, there is a time and a place for some slower tempoed movements and things like that. But if your body is constantly acclimating to just moving at like a base status quo, moving slow, not being explosive, things like that, your body adapts to that on some level, you know. So what we are doing surrounding our goals, you know, it really feeds into that. Yeah, I would say, and we kind of hinted at the American system of coaching for for a long time has been this, you know, longer, slower distance running, along with the the second running boom, uh, or like really the first running boom in the 70s, there is this idea of the long, slow distance run. Uh, Long runs used to actually be essentially just tempo runs, but for a longer period of time, where now there's this idea that you can just kind of casually go out and run slow. Uh, when you're first starting, there's a lot of capillary development and, and mitochondrial kind of multiplication that's happening. But uh, once you get to a certain level, that's you're not getting those same benefits. You're just kind of increasing your, your load and not getting a ton of stimulus from it other than setting yourself up for injury. So that's why doing long runs with a purpose so that they're more like tempo runs is actually, I think, an important step once you kind of get to a certain level. So what brought that shift more in this direction? Uh, well, there's a ton of success, especially like the East Africans. Uh, if you look at, at Kipchoge just broke two hours in the marathon. Uh, 
you know, he's a marathoner, but he's doing track workouts twice a week. Mm-hmm. He's doing fart legs uh, once a week that are, are crazy long and fast. I mean, these guys are doing this lactate type work all the time, constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, where in the American system, we typically do workouts once or twice a week where they're, they're doing high intensity workouts three or four times a week. Wow. Uh, they're also recovering better, but that's a different story too. Yeah, I, and there's a little bit of genetics that's involved in that too. But <laughs> a little bit, but, but I th- <laughs> it is very much the training science and how they're trying to manipulate the body and bring it all together, which I think is pretty interesting. So it sounds like the needle is shifting more towards this like quality versus quantity per se. You know, in terms of workouts um, st- structure and things like that. Yeah, to some extent, I think it, it's about the the frequency of dose too. Uh, we've got the idea of being hard days hard, easy days easy, and that that is true to some extent, but I think we've taken that to an extreme where hard days are are really hard and then easy days are really easy, Mm. and we've lost the the nuance of what a medium day can look like and how you can get some stimulus out without overloading the body and like not doing too much but doing enough to get something out of it and doing that more frequently. Interesting. I like how you talk about running as dosing. You know, I think um, oftentimes, and maybe this is a hair more on the recreational side, but people will just look at it as time or distance and just kind of go after it. But if you're actually thinking about the dosing and what you're trying to achieve out of it versus can I just get from point A to point B, be a little bit more purposeful and your actions could go a longer way is what it sounds like. Yeah, I would agree with that even for the recreational runner, arguably, to create a little variety in your training versus doing the same thing every day. Yeah, without doubt, you're going to get more out of the exercise if it's a different stimulus than what you've had before. So your body doesn't adapt and you're forcing it to change. Yeah, I I know Mark Paston, my old high school coach, used to always say, if you want long, slow runners, you run long and slow. And he used to yell at us for running long and slow all the time. And we ended (laughs) up getting pretty fast, so he must have known what he was doing. So you talked about this and when we're talking about kind of all these different ways that you can introduce this type of training into your, you know, to create this stimulus and push your body through these metabolic thresholds, you talked about sprinting. And it's funny, but like a lot of people think distance runners, sprinting, like why? You know, and you even said that, you know, the West Africans are doing this quite often on their track workouts. Let's just talk about, why don't you explain to us some of the benefits of sprinting for distance runners? So first and foremost, sprinting a should be fun. I mean, it's fun to run fast. That, yeah. That's the best part of it. Uh, but we talked a little bit about the neuromuscular recruitment for muscle fiber. So sprinting, you essentially start to access muscles you didn't remember you had, especially if you haven't been doing it in a while. Yeah. Uh, so you can learn how to <clears throat> you can learn how to use more muscle fiber. Yeah. Which isn't just for like the kick at the end of the race. It's also for the middle of that marathon. You've now recruited more muscle fiber. Your brain knows how to access that fiber. So you can share the load between more, more muscle fiber. So it's, it's, sprinting is not just beneficial for your top end speed. It's going to help you kind of the whole way down the, down the chain. The other part is you're a lot more biomechanically sound. Uh, yep, so, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, sprinting improves your, your kind of running economy. It improves how you run, uh, especially if you're going uphill. You have to learn how to really push that ground away. Yep. And 
what running fast really is, is is learning how to fly more, which is pushing the ground harder and being in the air for longer. Absolutely. I use that as a teaching tool, especially with younger runners, um, because you know you could probably cue someone a million different ways of how to run. And you and I talked about this in our last <laughs> podcast of probably arguably less is more. <laughs> Let's not over cue someone because actually the, the, um, the retention rate is very low on running cueing anyways. But if we use our environment to set it up to help someone learn how to drive the ground away, how to turn over, how to really extend and utilize their body to its max potential, just the technique alone from my perspective, the physical perspective, it's a really good teaching tool. Yeah, without doubt. It's one of those things, too. They've shown gait retraining is, is not a very sticky subject. So like teaching people how to run and giving them all these different cues, you can get a change right there in the moment, but the second their brain turns <laughs> off, they're gonna fall back to their default. But if you can get them sprinting more often, they're gonna kind of teach themselves the most efficient way to yeah, run. Yeah, it's learning a physical habit. Um, so from your perspective, when we're talking about utilizing this as a training stimulus, how often should we be sprinting so as all, a distance runner? All out, like, you know, ballistic type sprinting, probably only once or twice a week. Okay. Uh, but doing some version of, you know, they're often called strides, basically at the end of your run or even in the middle, doing something like four by 50 meters or four by 100 meters. So about, you know, five, 10, 15 seconds uh, worth of, you know, sprinting at maybe 90% effort. I think you can do that four days a week. Uh, the idea then too, for as, as far as like what a dose would look like, uh, typically how I start with people is, I'll bring them to to a, a hill, maybe four to five percent grade. You know, something enough that there's stimulus, but not enough that it's like hiking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where then you're going to go up, but only for six seconds. So I typically start at six seconds, four of them. Take three minutes rest at the bottom of the hill, so that you're completely so you want full fresh. recovery. Yep. Yep, exactly. Because the main stimulus, and every every athlete that I've ever done this workout with, the first time they come back and they they say, I don't really feel like it was that much. It wasn't because <laughs> it wasn't burning your legs. It wasn't creating that much lactate. It exactly. was more neuromuscular development. Yep. You will find that you probably sleep better that night or, or deeper or like you just feel more fatigued because yep. it's that central nervous fatigue, not that muscle fatigue. Yeah, there's different goals of what you're trying to stimulate in a training session. Yeah, without doubt. Uh, so typically start at that like four to six, but then you're going to ramp it up to uh, four to six four reps at six seconds uh but then eventually you get to the point where you go about 10 to 15 seconds is about the max of truly ballistic power sprinting that, that you can do after that there's there's you're getting into other stimuluses and, and uh you're kind of losing the plot as far as true neuromuscular development there is still something to be said for doing longer sprints than that mm-hmm. uh, but as far as that like creatine phosphate pure neuromuscular stimulus that's about 15 seconds is is the top end range okay so if you go uphill do you ever go downhill so this is an interesting thing for for true sprinters they'll spend a lot more time doing this over speed type training Mm -hmm. Uh, typically i don't have my athletes do it as often uh, because it puts a large load uh, mm-hmm. on onto your body. Yes, uh, running really fast. It, it can be useful, especially for some athletes that that just don't know how to run fast. Uh, sometimes oh, to give them that them. sensation. 
Exactly, to kind of introduce them to running faster. Uh, but a true downhill sprinting is typically saved more for sprinters doing overspeed training. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so with these, let's talk about kind of like when these are done. So it sounds like maybe you do your hill work in isolation, or is that also done with another run happening within that day? So typically, <clears throat> typically what that will look like is you'll have a warm-up, but it'll be on the shorter side, something that, that doesn't fatigue you because you want to, with most, most hill sessions, come into it fresh. You don't want to be fatigued already. Because it's a maximal effort type of approach. Yeah, a lot of a lot of times, a lot of times it is. Uh, <clears throat> there is something to be said about learning how to run hills when you're fatigued as well, yeah. especially if you're running like a Boston Marathon and you've got heartbreak at you know, 20 miles. Yeah, simulating the finish and things like that when you're exhausted. Yes, but that's that's almost more psychological, which is a whole <laughs> other podcast. That's a whole different co- podcast for a different day. Yeah, as far as like the true physiologic. Uh, you know, expression goes, it would be uh, more fresh work mm-hmm. uh, after a short warm-up. A lot of times, like I said, I will have them go and do a tempo run after once they've got that oh, kind of yeah. crap or that, you know, I say crap, but lactate in your leg <laughs> and in your system, <laughs> you learn like how that. to use it. Yeah, yeah, it's that, that you know, rigor mortis feeling. Yeah, that heavy legs feeling, of course. So you kind of do more of that quality work that's really speed driven, that hill work, and then maybe follow with a tempo. And honestly, sometimes you feel better after you have that longer run behind it to kind of help clear that stuff out of your legs anyways. But so then you also talked about these strides that you were kind of talking about more of these flat ground, like four, four by 60 meter, like things like that. When are you incorporating those into someone's training? Are those done before a running session, after running session, on a day off? Like when are you putting them, when are you incorporating that stride work, just that flat ground speed work that you were talking about? So typically you'll do that at the end of an easy run. So we talked about those hard days, easy days. Uh, so let's say you had that that you know sprinting, you know track workout, hill workout, and tempo run day. The next day you might go for a short shakeout run, uh, and it stays nice and easy. But you'll finish by running a little bit faster. Uh, part of that is for how we want to tune uh, like the tendons and and things like that in our legs because we don't want to get too accustomed to running slow all the time. Uh, Especially like before a race, you'll do those strides then as well, uh, the day before and then usually right before the race mm-hmm. uh, or before hard workouts then too. Typically, you'll do a few strides as part of your warm-up going into uh, a workout session. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You talk about that. We do this a lot in like the lifting world. So we do what's called a primer. So it's a shorter lift, quick, more explosive. We're literally using all these tools to wake up and excite the nervous system in preparation for a race or a big workout or something like that. So there's so many levels of depth to what we do to stimulate the body, whether it's metabolically, physically, neurologically, like there's just so many different reasons why all these things happen. So that's why I lean on somebody like Jack to give me these answers anyways, because there's so many reasons why we choose all these different stimulus that we do. Yeah, and it's the exact same principle for that primary lift is the same principle for for running exactly. faster before you race or compete. Using or, those strides, yep. They're all very similar ways to create the same response um, and kind of coming at it from different directions ultimately. So kind of talking about that, so we've talked about how metabolically we can better kind of prepare our body for running faster. 
we've kind of talked about how we can utilize these sprints and hill runs and things like that to help us train to run faster. Does strength training help speed as well? Yeah, without doubt. Uh, we talked a little bit about this, but like running faster is about pushing the ground harder. One of the ways you do that is you get stronger. So if you get a bigger base of strength, you can create more power. And those, those two things are slightly different things. But with, with running, the two variables that you look at the most are uh, ground contact time. So how long your foot is on the ground and then stride length. So how much space your kind of stride is taking up. Yeah. Uh, those are both directly linked to strength and then to, to power, which are related but not quite the same thing. <laughs> related but not quite the same thing I hear you yeah it's um there's a lot to be said for also just the natural um tendencies that your body takes on movement wise when you actually do spend some of that time strength training too we talk about how it really improves the quality of how you move and I feel like if we can cut back some of those movement inefficiencies from whether it's correctives or the large strength training movements that we do but the more we can make you mechanically efficient it also helps you stack those pieces together and achieve the things that you're talking about between ground contact time and that length of your stride you know so the more we can stack up the pieces for you i think it helps you do your job better ultimately to nevertheless the fact that you're creating more strength to express it better yeah, and, and besides just the physical output of it, it's also like how you position your body. By having that strength, you're better able to keep that core tight and stiff and rigid and put more power through. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're able to kind of keep your, you know, whatever it is, whether it's that chest down so, so that it can open up more and get more oxygen, or if it's the hips, keeping them underneath you more so that you can open your stride up more. Uh, whatever it is, that strength training tends to help on, on a few different fronts. Yeah, absolutely. And we've said it time and time again that there's a ton of benefits of strength training for distance runners. That pendulum has shifted significantly in the last handful of years over that, I think, the value and trust in it as a tool for runners. It has changed significantly in the distance world, wouldn't you say? Yeah, without doubt. I mean, there's not there's not an elite runner in the world now that doesn't do some version of strength training at least at least one that's performing at a high a really high level absolutely Uh, they're all in the gym a few days a week uh, doing doing explosive lifting too not just i don't know bicep curls or something silly they're they're (laughs) doing sport specific power lifting absolutely i have a former runner of mine that's an ultra marathoner professional ultra marathoner and she just posted a picture the other day she was trap bar deadlifting like 200 pounds you know, I mean, they're, they're no joke. I mean, we have one of our really good runners. She does barbell hip extensions with well over 300 pounds on her. And, and she's she, like 100 pounds probably. Yeah, and she's <laughs> tiny and she's a beast, you know. So I think that if there's anything that we can also add to this conversation is utilize that as a training method to help you be a very strong and powerful athlete. Because I think ultimately distance running sometimes gets written off as, oh, it's just this long event and it takes a while to that people don't think about it as like needing strength and power. And that's honestly one of the biggest things to put in your engine is that, because that's also what's gonna let, help you last longer and you know endure that pain. You're talking about you get into mile 20 of a marathon, like that is, you know, yes, is it about your body metabolically clearing things and managing it? Yeah, but it's also about having everything in your physical capability to dig deep and finish that race. Yeah, that, that, 
strength training too is an area where you can get outsized gains. You've, especially if you're running at a reasonably high level, you've probably done a ton of tempo runs, intervals, fart legs, these kind of things. It's going to be a diminishing return versus if you've never lifted, you're going to have huge benefits just from starting a lifting program. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. So if we were to kind of break this down, let's break this down into two categories. Let's talk about the recreational runner. And then let's talk about maybe even like the high school or just slightly more elite runner. So if a recreational runner wants to get the concept of incorporating some of this lactate threshold training into their days or into their training. So let's say they run, you know, three to four days a week. They probably work. So they don't have the schedule to train every day. What is a few type of workouts that they could incorporate into their schedule to just maybe help them find a little bit more speed and success in what they're doing? So I would say maybe one of those days a week, you're going to do something where you run for, let's say, 10 minutes to warm up. And then you're going to do some alternating kind of like a fart leg. So a minute of faster running where you're running to the point where you're just, you're getting uncomfortable and you can kind of feel that, that burn a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you do that for, for a minute or, or 30 seconds or you know, some point to where you're feeling that burn. And then you're gonna take about you know, twice as long to recover. So if it's 30 seconds, then you're gonna do a minute of easy running. Uh, if it's that minute, then you're gonna do two minutes of easy running. Alternate that for a few times. Uh, and to progress that, you basically just cut the rest down as, as you go. Uh, it's like a ratio. Yep, exactly. So cut the rest down to start. If we use that that minute on, two minutes off, the next time you go out, you're doing a minute on, a minute and a half off. Uh, and then changing that recovery side of it before you lengthen the, the stimulus side. Because uh, the whole point is to help deal with that, that lactate and, and process through it. Uh, and the bigger challenge would be giving your time, yourself less time to, to clear that and to, to use it. Absolutely. And I think, too, even for our, our recreational runners, you know, they may not do it all the time like we do with, you know, runners who have a very set training schedule. But, you know, you have kind of your regular runs, you add in kind of that fartlek style one, you know, and then if you have the ability or you have a place nearby, you know, every now and then trying to do some of those hill sprints, they're kind of fun. Like you said, it's fun to feel what it feels like to run fast. You know, so something like that, if or when they're able to, to kind of like what you're saying, you were kind of talking about like starting with like four to six of them, you know, sprint all the way up for about six seconds or so, walk back down, have full recovery, do them again. You know, for the recreational runner, if they have the opportunity to build something into their program, that could be a fun, like mental and physical change for them. Yeah, it's, it's, I think, a challenging workout that doesn't actually feel that hard, but you get a lot of benefit from Mm -hmm. So even for that recreational runner, I think there is a lot of benefit to it. Uh, that said, you don't want to jump right into full-out sprinting. <laughs> you might want to do a f- like one or two of them at maybe 85% effort first, sure. and then 90, 95, and then, then get into the all-out sprinting. But w- you know, warm up into it uh, would be the key then. I think that's a great point. So then for our more structured or more elite runner, where do these workouts kind of fit into their average schedule, if you will? So, uh, need that picture for us. It depends so much on, yeah. on the athlete and where they're coming from. Yes. So typically, at least how, how we'll assess or how I'll assess it would be what's their background, what event are they training for, so what are the demands that, that they need for that, 
And then two, you have to look at that athlete. Are they more slow twitch based or are they more fast twitch based? Like how do they respond to lactate? Uh, I can use an example. I've got a, a guy who is a uh, Olympic trials standard uh, marathon or a caliber of that. Uh, he can run like distance stuff like crazy, but sprinting and running fast is where, where he's weakest at. Uh, and actually I brought him in to, to work with Lauren too, mm-hmm. where we got him a lot stronger yeah. and we've been doing a lot more workouts now structured around this, this lactate. So doing a lot of those hills and then tempo. Uh, so putting a lot more lactate into the system and getting him to use that at, at first. Uh, that athlete is going to need more constant stimulus and probably truthfully less stimulus to get that that benefit versus let's say you've got a a miler or somebody that is like a speed demon they they can run fast Mm -hmm. and they seem to just bounce back right away well they might need that more longer form constant drip of lactate like that that more continuous tempo run Uh, they might struggle with that longer tempo run but they could do you know 300 meters fast, 100 meter jog all day because their body is just able to produce and use that lactate. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it's about changing the, the stimulus and, and coming at it from a different way. It's such a such a broad question. It's hard to, to answer yeah. in a really <laughs> succinct way. But to oversimplify it, there's yeah. there's two two approaches. Either that runner that you know doesn't know how to use lactate sure. and you have to introduce that more often, or that runner that thrives on lactate but doesn't have the endurance side and then you have to teach them how to to kind of sit with that lactate more for for longer periods so depending on their needs analysis with you that would affect how many days a week or what types of runs they're doing in order to achieve these needs essentially yeah for example that that longer distance runner that that i was mentioning uh we're doing things where even some days he's doing two workouts a day so uh actually tomorrow he's scheduled to do uh some intervals in the morning that are lower dose, but to get some of that lactate into the system and learn how to deal with it, uh, he'll have most of the day. And then after work, he'll go out and do essentially that same workout again, but a lower dose of that lactate, but doing it constantly and getting that frequency up. Uh, so it's many days a week as opposed to, and many times a week as opposed to just one big workout here, one big workout there. Because you're exposing his body to it on a more regu- more frequent basis then. Yep, exactly. Interesting. So it's very interesting, you know, I mean, I think that this really stretches our mind to understand that running faster is not just about the act of running faster. Yeah, there's a lot more that goes to it and a lot of benefits you get from it that aren't just for sprinters or just for that high school middle distance runner. It, it can be for that recreational marathoner you'll get uh, if anything you might get more benefit out of it than even that high school miler that's already already doing it and like we said we're shifting the needle from instead of just running to run you know like you were saying like if you run long and slow you're going to compete run long and slow you know things like that that now we want to add purpose into this to teach our body how to do this from a metabolic state a physical state a neuromuscular state to help create this bigger picture of what speed is to a distance runner. Yeah, exactly. I think it's one of those those things too where there's a, such an easy way to get an advantage over your competition or, or over the people around you because they're not doing this enough or they're not doing it correctly or uh, it's just an easy way to get a lot out of 
a shorter period of time of work too. It, 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 it works for that, you know, just beginner. It works for that that elite runner too. They need to do probably more of this than what they're they're currently doing. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. So I want to thank you, Jack, for joining us today. I mean, I really appreciate how you're able to kind of break down the science of it and make it tangible for the rest of us because it's not an easy thing to digest all the time. And I think a lot of, I hope a lot of you are able to take a lot of this conversation um, as, like Jack said, he's kind of generally simplifying it, but there's a lot that we could take and learn from him. He shares a lot on his blogs about some of these training techniques and structure that he provides for people. And you have a whole lot of information on your blogs. I try to simplify it sometimes. And, and my wife helps uh, read through it and say, this doesn't make any sense. Rewrite that. Uh, but yeah, and if you ever have questions, I'm, I'm always happy to answer. I love talking about this stuff. Absolutely. I would say for all of those of you, whether you are recreational or, you know, that high school elite runner or, you know, on any level, you know, whether you're training on your own or just training to run and enjoy running, you know, there are a lot of great things that you can learn from Jack, um, whether it's by following him. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Infinity Run Co. or online at infinityrunco.com. You know, he fields a lot of questions, but he's also been a great resource to myself and my patients, especially as they're returning to running or looking to change and improve their approach to whatever level of running it is that they're at. So I couldn't recommend him more. Um, I trust him (laughs) implicitly, (laughs) Um, and I appreciate how he helps break the science down for us to make it easier for all of you and for myself to understand at times, too. That's why I lean on him. We can't all be experts at everything, and that's why we surround ourselves with people that know exactly what they're talking about. So thank you to all of you for taking the time for listening today, and I really hope that you took some training ideas away with you as to how you could incorporate this into your style of training. And if you have further questions, reach out to Jack. He is not, he never hesitates to answer, and is always a great resource and a fantastic coach to lean on to help you improve with whatever your running goals are. So again, thank you for listening and joining us today on the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search MKE Sports Podcast. Like, follow, or comment on today's episode. If you have questions, comments, topics, or guest suggestions, reach out through that Instagram account. Your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible. If you have additional time, we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information. If you could head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, it will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.